What is going on? It is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. We're coming at you on a Wednesday evening here in Los Angeles. Hope you're having a fantastic one. Brandon Marcus joined today by LA Clippers film. Justin Wilson stoked to get into the conversation with Justin. Talk about, oh my goodness, that game yesterday and the game today. A couple of great Clippers wins and we are going to chop it up before we even get there. I have to tell you that you got to take a moment and follow Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. The single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition. It provides more analysis too. Again, that's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Follow now. All right, let's bring him in. He is the man, the myth, the legend. Love having this guy on. He is Justin Wilson at LA Clippers Film. What's up, my guy? What's going on? Um, I don't know about all of that when it comes to me, but um, I'll take it. Hey. Uh, but I'm happy to be on. I'm happy to be on. It's been a while since I've had you on, so I'm really glad to have you back. Talk some Clippers basketball and no better time. I actually texted you yesterday. I think it was before. Yeah, it was before the game yesterday. So perfect timing where we're able to break down yesterday's ridiculous comeback win down by 35. And then today, they followed up with a win. I got to tell you, I didn't think they were going to win today. It just seemed coming into this game, not when the game started, but before the game started, I was like, eh, you know what? You basically put all your eggs in one basket, it felt like, yesterday. And then they came back and won again today. Uh, let's first start with last night. I don't even know how to describe what I saw, Justin, because I obviously have a son. I've talked about on the broadcast. I've talked about on this podcast before. And when they were down by six, I went to go. He was rubbing his eyes like crazy for like 15 minutes. I was like, all right, I've held on long enough. I'm going to go put him to bed. And I kept the TV on, but I could hear screaming as I was reading to my son because I didn't think they were going to come back. It was a six-point lead. Six point lead. All you got to do is hit one free throw if you're Washington. And then I come back. My wife had paused it, and they won. Bonkers is really the only way I could describe it. Your reaction to what the hell happened yesterday in that ridiculous win. I'm kind of still reeling from that game. Like, I know we played today in Orlando, but I'm kind of still reeling um, from from that comeback win in Washington. Um, you know, that's that isn't that's like it's never happened before. Um, NBA teams just don't come back from 35 down. They don't come back from eight with like what? 17 seconds left or whatever it was yeah. and so i i really don't have a reaction other than like my jaw is still on the floor because nba teams just don't give up 35 point leads ever um so yeah and i don't i don't i'm not sure if there's any like grandiose takeaway from it other than it was just a once in a lifetime experience that i've um that i've gathered um watching the Clippers like that's just a once in a lifetime experience that like you know 10 years from now when I'm like you and I have my own child I'll be like yo I, I watched the Clippers do the greatest comeback in NBA history you know yeah um, for sure but if there is a takeaway it probably would have to revolve around the fact that relatively speaking comebacks are starting to become commonplace under Ty Lue. and on one hand it kind of sucks that that has that 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 has happened yeah but on another hand um 
that is that is the pillar of a great coach. Um, that is the that is the pillar of a coach who has instilled a culture that's very evident with this team. And um, from top to bottom, uh, whenever we come back from these deficits, whether it be like 24 in Philadelphia or, uh, you know, 35 in Washington, I think we was down 14 or 15 today in Orlando. 14. You know, um, yeah. So uh, I think from the top down, um, Ty has come in and done a fantastic job of instilling a culture that goes beyond Kawhi Leonard that goes beyond Paul George and it really creates a culture of sustainability that will hopefully be in place long after they're gone and so a 35 point comeback is obviously extremely rare but it's also a reflection of the culture that um this front office is instilled that um makes me very very happy you know what I mean we're never out of it we're never out of it and it's interesting you bring it up, um, and there's a lot to unpack with what you just said, because I have a lot of opinions on what you just said, and it, you bring up the game and how it, it'll be definitely be one that you tell your kids about, and the first game that comes to mind with me is Memphis, um, and the Nick Young game, and what happened there, and then you look at the Golden State Warriors come back, and now obviously you have what happened with Atlanta last year, and then you've got three 24 uh, plus point deficits, I believe that they have come back from in the last couple of weeks and come back in one. And I'm glad you brought up the, it's annoying that they're getting into that place in the first place. Like why are they continuing to put themselves in that spot? I think that's probably the most frustrating thing with this team. And I've been talking the last couple of podcasts, trying to figure out this team and Shane and I are like, you know what? It's impossible to figure out. I said, you look at this road trip. I could see them winning half these games. I could see them going two and eight. It's just one of those things where I could see them in the next 10 games going 2-8 and because you just don't know what you're going to get from this team. And what's frustrating to me, Justin, is that you see what this team was capable of putting together in the second half yesterday. Where was that in the first half? Where was that energy in the first half? I think that's the frustrating thing because this team, you look at the names, Justin, and they're not amazing. This is not a team filled with superstars with PG and Kawhi out. And now, of course, with Mook out the last couple as well. But it's a bunch of good players that just worked their asses off. And I guess the thing is, it's hard to work your ass off for 48 minutes, you know? And so you can't, you need something perhaps to kick you in the ass and get you going. And that's what happened yesterday, where the Clippers get momentum. You get a guy like Luke Kennard who gets hot and you find yourself in the lead, I think. But that's the frustrating thing. You obviously played the game for a while. It's why are they putting themselves in that spot in the first place? It's probably my biggest concern are you concerned about that or are you more pleased with the result than how it gets to that point um to be quite frank with you i'm actually not not surprised at all when we have those crazy droughts and we're down by 14 15 um oh me too because you don't have a guy who like a Kawhi or pg that can get you a bucket you need it right and to that point I just don't think this team is really the team that's being presented on the floor is like all that good from a talent perspective. And I say that in the most like endearing of ways, like Amir coffee had 19 tonight after 25 last night. He's, he's one of the guys that is, that are carrying us offensively. He's on a two way, 
You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. our opening sets are to Zoo, who I love, and he's starting to show some signs with his jump hooks and his touch around the rim and things like that. But this team, without Kawhi Leonard, without Paul George, um, you throw in Zoo missing some games with COVID. You throw in some Reggie Jackson missing games because of COVID and Luke Kennard missing games because of COVID. This is about a 20 to 25 win team, if I'm being completely honest, in my opinion. So when they have bad games or when they have bad halves, to me, that's more indicative of what their floor is as a, as, as a, as a roster right now, currently constructed. And so when, when we look at what happens in like the second half against Philly or the second half against Washington, to me, that's just flat out coaching infrastructure and that together being better than the sum of its parts. And so the fact that we even feel like they should be better than their 25 and 25 record, or the fact that we think that they have a legitimate shot to beat certain teams is a reflection of how great Ty Lu is and how great the, the, the coaching and the front office is on the whole, because quite frankly, Brandon Boston is in our rotation. He was the 51st pick. Um, so like, I would venture to say that Wendell Carter Jr., who played for the Orlando Magic today, and Cole Anthony, who played for the Magic today, would probably be the most purely talented guys had they play on the Clippers. The Magic had the more talent on on the floor today. And so for me, I don't I don't really get too worried about the losses or the bad halves just because for me, I, I just see it as them be performing where they kind of should be and the fact that they're 25 and 25 right now um is purely them overachieving so in a way yeah no for sure and i i agree with you and that's when i was saying that these guys have a bunch of good this team is a bunch of good players and no one that really stands out and you bring up a good point obviously with ty Lu, and we've talked about it at nauseum this season that this guy is one of the best coaches in the nba and he continues to show it and what he's showing right now is with a team that's now at 500 and with all these guys that have missed games, that you add in Kawhi and PG, and we've talked about this in this podcast before, if Kawhi doesn't get hurt last year, I think they go to the NBA Finals. And it's just one of those things where this team certainly has the infrastructure in place from the ownership to the front office to the players in the court that they've got a team that's ready to win now and they just need to have their stars healthy. And Mm -hmm. Justin Russo put out a tweet earlier today, and I made sure to save it. Um, You can follow him on Twitter, at FlyByNight, that here's the number of games missed by player. This season, now the Clippers are 25 and 25 through 50 games. Kawhi has missed 50 of those 50. Paul George and Marcus Morris have missed 24 of those 50. Batum, 20. Ibaka, 19. Hartenstein, 14. Kennard, 10. Zoo and Jackson have each missed four. So for this team to be at 500 with all those guys missing the number of games they've missed is frankly incredible. And you take that and then you add in the fact that they have just come back from 35 points down and one on the road. That is remarkable. And I think what we're learning more about right now than anything else is how good Ty Luke continues to be. And, Justin, the guys that they have on their team, 
Luke Kennard, who was signed to a four-year, $64 million contract, and you and I have talked about him, and I said my biggest issue with him all along was that I didn't know who they were betting against to give him those four-year, $64 million. Now, that does not matter. Four-year, $64 million is a cheap deal for how well he is playing right now. He is one of the best shooters in the entire league. So you've got that, plus you've got the development of Terrence Mann and Amir Coffey. What we're seeing right now is development of players that are going to be necessary when Paul George and Kawhi get back. Yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I think with 33, 32 games left in a season, um, I'm kind of a bit pessimistic about Paul George and Kawhi Leonard returning this year. Me too. And and so, I mean, it's just like that's now it's becoming a numbers game. We're running out of games. And so for me, I've kind of pivoted like a few weeks ago just to watch this watch this team from the perspective of, okay, who can help us next year? when Kawhi Leonard is back and when Paul George is back, like who can actually help us in our title run. And I think the Clippers have done a great job of fostering a, an environment conducive to that success, whether at, whether that be um, Isaiah Hardenstein or uh, Amir Coffey or like even Terrence Mann, who's kind of been up and down this year, but he's still a productive player that can contribute. And so when you look at how how this team configures into next season, you just love the, the at least I do, I love the development that this team has had as far as like Isaiah or even somebody like Brandon Boston, who's like only 20 and he's had some moments and hopefully next year where he gets a little bigger, he'll be able to contribute even more. And Amir coffee is just flourishing into somebody that can be in maybe our top eight next year, which is like a leap. Right. So um, this season honestly is turning into um, who can we actually depend on next year, opening night? And I think they've done a great job in finding those guys. And Amir Coffey and Isaiah are two guys that um, we're going to have to figure out their contracts. Um, but those are two guys that this season has actually turned into. And, like, they're, they're promising guys. They're productive. And I think they can help us on the next Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Clipper-led team. Let me ask you something, because you just brought up Amir Coffey, and I was talking to Shane about Amir, and he said the same exact thing, that he could possibly be in the eight-man rotation. And then I presented to him, well, you have Kawhi, you have PG, you have Reggie Jackson, you have Zoo, you've got Batum, you've got Kennard, you've got possibly Bledsoe, you've got Mann. Where does Coffey fit in? And so I want to mm-hmm. ask you something, because uh, there's... Obviously, we went through this with Team Man last year and how important he was throughout the season and especially in the playoffs. And we said, this guy is just continuing to be that dude and he's going to continue to be important for what the Clippers do. And then this year, like you said, he's been up and down and he certainly has not taken that step forward that I think some of us expected. In some games, it looks like he is. I mean, yesterday he ended up having a game where it was like 16 points, five rebounds, three assists, three steals. I mean, that was a very good game. But... You wonder, with Amir Coffey, what have you seen from him that makes you think that he can for sure be that guy next year? I mean, obviously, yesterday he was tremendous. 29 points, two steals and a block, I think, is almost just as important as he's contributing the defensive end as well. And he's starting to shoot the ball well. What have you seen from him that makes you think that he can be that dude? Um, well, 
first of all, a, a lot of the guys you name, my hot take is that he's just as good. Like he, like wow. I don't. Amir Coffey is a player that like I just throw out there. And much like Nicholas Batum, if I just throw him out there, he's positionless. He can play anything from one to like four. Um, he can guard up and down like three and four positions. Uh, he's someone that um, anytime you can find a wing, a real wing who can pass, dribble and shoot. Um, that's somebody that's like a $40 million player at minimum in the NBA. Um, and he's someone that I would, I would start at point. I mean, in college, he was, he played a lot of point guard and I do think the Clippers are doing a great job. And this is one of the things that this season has been about. You're kind of seeing the exploration of Amir Coffey's game and you're seeing the extent to which he can do things. And he's a transition demon, but he's also somebody that can get, get some juice going in a half court set. And so I just think that factors that factors well, when you play in alongside Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, those are two guys that are going to be making most of the plays anyway. They're, they're going to soak up all of the um, high usage and high, high ball reps. And so you have someone like Amir Coffey who can just do so much. He impacts the game. I know the last couple of games he's been scoring a lot, but he's someone that even if he doesn't score, because he can guard so many positions, because he can slash, because he can make an open three, because he can put the ball on the floor and make stuff happen at his size. Yeah, I'm I'm all in. I'm all in. And I'm of the belief that the Clippers need to do whatever it takes to um to keep him because that's someone that uh that that is a that is an A plus from the Clippers development staff and um it's one of the hallmarks of the season for me, honestly. Oh, for sure. There's no question about it. I mean, you look at the preview and before the season and we were looking at Amir Coffee as a guy who's just going to be, you know, he'll probably be in the G League and we're not going to see anything important from him. It's, I'm not expecting anything from him this year and who knows if we'll ever get anything from him. And now we're getting a guy that is starting and was playing 37 minutes last night and was 10 of 20, 10 of 21 from the field. I mean, no one expected him to be this good and he's just been absolutely remarkable. Now, here's my question for you. Next year, mm-hmm. who's more important, Terrence Mann or Amir Coffey next year? Amir Coffey. Wow. Isn't that crazy I, I, how things I, change? Well, I mean, it's just it's just a um it's just a I'm trying to contextualize it, but development, you just don't know what's going to happen. And um Amir Coffey looks far more decisive um in his decision making. He looks more like an actual wing than Terrence is. I feel like sometimes Terrence gets caught in between being a guard and an actual wing. I think Amir Coffey being a little bit bigger and having a little bit of more functional juice on the offensive end um, is one of the real reasons why I'd lean towards Amir Coffey and not even look back. Like I I think Amir Coffey you can he's a plug and play guy. You can he can do a lot more than Terrence Mann, I think, at least especially in the half court as well. So I wouldn't even think twice. I would say Amir Coffee. I choose Amir Coffee over quite a bit, but I'm biased towards like big six, seven wings. And Amir Coffee is that. And like you 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 make it work when you have when you have the size that Amir Coffee has and you can pass, dribble, and shoot. I think he had like in Toronto 
um, a few weeks back. He had like a seven assist game. Um, he's just flourishing as someone that can do a lot, um, whether it be in half court and in transition. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm taking him over um, Terrence, who I like, and I would definitely, I definitely think he can contribute. But I think we're starting to see he has a real limitations in his game, and those limitations just aren't there with Amir Coffee, in my opinion. But there's an ability for those not to be limitations with Terrence, right? Or are you? There's certainly the ability for him to take that leap forward. I mean, we weren't sure in terms of his long range shot, and then last year he was huge against the Jazz. I- I still think he has problems with his long range shot, actually. Right. No, for sure. And if, for, first of all, one of the biggest problems is that he doesn't take it and that he's hesitation when he's open, he's not taking it. Um, but he, the, the ability is there, is what I'm saying. I mean, we've seen it in that Jazz series. It's certainly there. He, he's capable of being that type of guy, right? I, I would disagree. Really? Yeah. I and the reason And the reason why is, for one, I think. Terrence was an older rookie. So he's already, he's going to be what, 26 next year? Um, those guys normally are who they are in the league. And um, for me, Terrence's limitations as far as being a high volume scorer, shooting, shooter, etc., I just don't see it. I just don't see it in the cards with him, in part because he has a hard time getting shots up. Um, like, a lot of times we look at, um, I, I think I, I tweeted this during a game against Denver where he passed up that up that what appeared to be a wide open three. I felt like one of his limitations is his shooting form. His shooting technique makes it so that he needs a ton of time. He needs to be wide open to shoot threes. And if he's not wide open, if there's anyone in the vicinity, he turns them down, which is why it looks like he's passing up shots. But he's really passing up shots in part because of his shooting technique. And then you start breaking down things as far as him not being able to create his shot off the dribble in a prominent way. And so those are just things that like, Maybe it's just me, but those are just certain things, certain drawbacks that I have with his game that at this stage of his career, after being a four year guy at Florida State and now going into what is third, fourth year with the Clippers, um, I think he's settling into who he is, which is just a nice role player to get you through an 82 game season. And that's and that's fine. You know what I mean? And so you saw in the Jazz series that what stood out was the fact that Rudy Gobert was guarding him, which allowed him to have a ton of time to shoot wide open threes. Now he's proven himself to be a knockdown wide open shooter, but that's also why the volume of threes that he takes is low because you're not going to get that many wide open threes in an actual NBA game. So for me, um, Terrence has a few drawbacks that I just don't think can be overcome at this point in his career. But maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. Yeah, interesting. All right. Hey, we have a brand new daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos Thrive Fantasy. Prop up with Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use the code ETHOS when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks plus either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props and the biggest names playing every night. Score points when your props hit. And the players with the most points win a share of the nightly prize money. And check out our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that code is ethos over at thrivefantasy.com. All right, let's quickly talk about 
Reggie Jackson uh, because it's interesting because when you were talking, Justin, about the ability for Amir Coffey to play point guard, it made me think of Reggie Ooh. Jackson and what his future is with the Los Angeles Clippers. You look at the last couple Ooh. of games, and he has not been good. He was one of nine yesterday in 16 minutes. He obviously didn't play the second half. And then three of 11 today in 19 minutes. He picked up two very quick fouls in the game today. Where are we at with Reggie Jackson? Because he was very much of a cult hero for the Clippers um, in the playoffs last year. And he was a guy that was able to really excel at being a catch-and-shoot three-point guy. And then this year, he's being asked to really bring the ball up and carry the offense and try and create his own shot, which we know he's really not great at. It seems like he's someone that we can't really evaluate until Kawhi and PG are on the floor. But at the same time, you wonder how much of last year was just him getting into a groove. It's tough to really evaluate. What are your thoughts? Do you think this is something that we need to wait and see for Kawhi and PG to be back? Or is this something where, hey, maybe we can do without him next year? You hit the nail on the head. You definitely hit the nail on the head with Reggie Jackson. Um, I think whenever you have like two high usage wings like Kawhi and PG, um, what you need are guys who are really great at catch and shoots and who are really great at being tertiary scorers. And that's what Reggie Jackson is. Um, he's obviously, I, I think we know by now that he's overcast as a high usage lead guard as a starter right now. Um, that that's just not who he is at this point of his career. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, we probably needed this season to find out that like, yeah, this is just not the role that he can adequately fulfill. And so, um, I don't think he's someone that the Clippers are just like, just desperately want to hold on to, but I also don't think they are like anxious to get rid of him either. Um, he's, we have a large sample size of him being a really great shooter. I mean, since he came to the Clippers, uh, he's been one of the league's best shooters. And so this season is starting to look more and more like an outlier to me. I mean, he went from like shooting like 45% on catch and shoots and being like a plus 40% three point shooter to having like 39, 31 splits. So, um, I'm going to think that this season for him, at least the shooting, as far as the shooting is concerned, is an outlier. And um, I would love to see him next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But Amir Coffey is another guy who I think uh, would be able to adequately replace Reggie Jackson for stretches. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still a believer in Reggie Jackson. I just believe that you know, he's overcast. And, you know, that's the beauty of this Clipper team who is who are 500 after the game tonight in Orlando. We have a ton of guys that can just pick it up when um, other guys are struggling, at least to a certain extent. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still in on Reggie. What about you? Yeah, I am, too. And, and I think that's why I brought up what I did, because I feel like we still need to see him with PG and Kawhi. I think it's unfair to try and basically cast him as this guy that's not very good at the moment when he's just not doing what he needs to be doing. I mean, you ask Reggie Jackson to come up and hoist 20 shots a game and you're going to run into some trouble. I mean, it's just he's going to get into games where he's going to be red hot and it's going to look amazing and he's going to be fantastic, but he's just not that guy. And you look even last year when Pat Bev went down, 
he wasn't asked to be the guy last year. I mean, you had Kawhi and PG that were still healthy last year. So it, you can't compare Reggie Jackson last year to Reggie Jackson this year. He's just not the same guy. And it's no coincidence, I don't even need to look this up, that his numbers have probably dipped since PG got hurt. I mean, it, it's no coincidence there. He was doing pretty decent at the start of the season, and now it's just he's being asked to do too much. And to your point, when you have guys like Batum and Mann and Coffey and Bledsoe and Kennard and Mook, um, I mean, there's so many different guys that can chip in that you can look past how poorly he does. And certainly there are games where he needs to recognize, hey, I'm shooting us out of this game. I need to get others involved. But at the same time, you need to get him involved at times. Like he, He's not one of those guys where you say, let him shoot until he just continues to break out of it like we do with PG. I mean, PG, we want him to shoot 10 to 15 threes. Like, we're happy with that. If you're missing, keep shooting. With Reggie Jackson, it's not a, hey, keep shooting. Like, if you're missing, go find somebody else. Go find a Luke Kennard. Go find an Eric Bledsoe. Go find an Amir Coffey. I mean, there are plenty of other guys that can pick up where you left off. So it, it, this season's so fascinating to me, Justin, because – First oh, of yeah. all, it's it's all BS with all the COVID stuff that they've had to deal with and the injuries. I mean, it's just, it's nonsense. But this team's going to be a playoff team. I mean, they're going to be between that 7 and 10 seed, most likely. And I said at the start of the season, I think Kawhi's going to come back in March because he has the ability. We have, he has a contract now. He has no worries that if he about re-injuring and then having to go in the open market because that's not going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, if PG's not coming back, there's no reason for Kawhi to come back. So I think at this point, it all hinges on PG. And I said right away, when PG got hurt, I'd be surprised to see him back this season. Granted, oh wow, I had no idea, by the way. I, granted, let, let me be, let me add the fact that I had no idea that other guys have suffered this UCL injury and come back within four to six weeks. But it, it just has worried me with the whole reevaluated thing that the Clippers continue to give with PG. The reevaluated thing does not mean the guy's coming back at that point. It means they're looking at him again to see what the deal is. And sure, he may need surgery, which would not be great. I mean, I'm I'm a baseball guy too. So I know, hey, this is, this is a Tommy John. Like this is a real thing. You hear UCL right. in baseball and the guy's done for the year. Like he is gone for the next year, 12 months. It's I mean, 12 yep. to 18 months. You won't see that guy on the mound again. So it worries with me with PG, especially when the thing that worried me the most, and you go back to before he, before he was even sidelined, when he was initially hurt and he was ruled out that game right before tip, you the uh, Bally's showed him on the sidelines before the game, and he couldn't even really lift his elbow, and that was super concerning to me. And so now I wonder what's going to happen um, with him. But I do think it all depends on with Kawhi. It all depends on yeah. if PG comes back. If PG comes back, I think Kawhi comes back. If PG doesn't come back, I, I don't think Kawhi comes back. And at that point, then you wonder. What do the Clippers do with the deadline? And I talked to Shane about this, and we really have no idea. I mean, you have guys that you could deal for sure. I mean, you could deal Marcus Morris. You could possibly deal Eric Bledsoe. But does it make sense? What do you think? So I I think that when Paul George's injury first was reported, um, the Clippers said they would, like, 
eva would rest him for three to four weeks i'm paraphrasing but that they said that they would rest him for three to four weeks and then after that time they would evaluate how to move forward or something like that so to me the initial press release suggested that surgery was already on the table Mm -hmm. which meant that they did not like what they saw at the at the time when they said you know what i mean so like that that scares me that scares me that like they said we're going to re they essentially said we're going to rehab to see if it gets better so that we don't need surgery and so then you hear the report from Woj last week saying that they're going to add two more weeks which to me looks like they are really trying to use some therapy to not go to sur- go to the surgery route but i feel like just the messaging seems like that's kind of inevitable and if it is that's so damn unfortunate because that's as you alluded to that's going to bleed into next year that's going to bleed into the start of next year and so i think the intel there is that the nba i tweeted this too the nba has a very crowded middle class and there is no real team who is just like head and shoulders above everyone as far as a title contender is concerned why is that important well that's important because the clippers if Paul George don't doesn't come back, then Kawhi Leonard probably isn't coming back, which means they're probably not chasing a title this year. But what they do have is a roster full of guys that those teams who are chasing a title, in theory, could talk themselves into. Like, they could talk themselves into Luke Kennard. They could talk themselves into Serge Ibaka. They could talk themselves into Mar- Marcus Morris, right? Like, the Nets or, like, whoever. Um, so... I said it's more likely than not that they do something at the deadline just because I don't think the Clippers, as as sweet of a story as this 500 team has been this year, I don't think they look at themselves internally as a title contender for this season. And I do think that a lot of other teams do see themselves as title contenders, which means that they may be able to get more than they originally would have thought for some of the guys that they have, right? So maybe a deal comes along for Eric Bledsoe or Marcus Morris or Luke Kennard or Serge Ibaka. That's too good to pass up. And I, I, I just feel like that is more likely than not to happen just because there are a ton of teams who think like they can make a deep run in the playoffs and the Clippers are the team right now who have all of like the competent players in the NBA. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I could even see someone coming in for Nick Batum and be like, all right, here's a veteran guy. And it's hard to even see the Clippers dealing these guys that have been such a huge part of their culture the last few years. But to your point, the more teams that think they're in it, the more of a market there is for these guys. So it's actually a good time to be a seller when there are a lot of teams that are in it. And I really do think that it just depends on Kawhi. It's it's obvious, but it depends on Kawhi and PG. I mean, if Kawhi and PG are back, Justin, they're an NBA title contender. It, it's as simple as that. It's just as last year. If those guys are healthy, the Clippers go to the NBA Finals. I, I believe that. And then you look at this year. This team is at 500 without Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George. Like, just imagine how good they would be with all the reps these guys are getting now and the confidence they're getting. And you look at Luke Kennard, and he now knows what he could be. And you put him with those other guys, and damn, dude, they, they certainly have a team that can match up with the likes of the Jazz and the Suns. And, I mean, they, they obviously do. So it, it'll be- Oh, man, listen. Listen, I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt No, you, go ahead. If Kawhi, Leonard, if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can come back, 
I think they absolutely should. Even if they're like 80%, I think they should. Yeah. Just because both of those guys are like on the they're third they're on the wrong side of 30 and we can't just throw away seasons and this season in particular, the Western Conference is so open that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, I don't care what seed Given what we've seen from this Clipper iteration, even without them, you throw them in there, and I'm taking them against anyone in the conference right now, yeah. confidently. Yeah, me too. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens um, for sure, what this team ends up doing at the deadline and what ends up happening the next couple of weeks. I mean, Justin, they're in the middle of a road trip right now that you look before and you see Denver, Philly, New York, Washington, Orlando, Miami, Charlotte, Indiana – and it's a eight-game trip. They're three and two on this trip, and one of those losses was an overtime loss at Denver. I mean, it's remarkable. They've beaten Philly, and they've beaten Washington, Orlando in a back-to-back, and now you face Miami, Charlotte, Indiana, and the Miami and Charlotte games are going to be very, very difficult. But you win one more game in this trip. You win at Indiana, for example, on the second night of a back-to-back, which I don't think they had won a second night of a back-to-back until they won today. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You'll take that. I mean, you'll take a four and four road trip. I thought they were going to go two and eight or two and six rather. And then you go and you add in Los Angeles and Milwaukee, which will not be easy either back at home and then back on the road. And so it's there's certainly a window here for the Clippers just to continue to stay above water. But the question is how long until they decide to do something, if at all. Um, it's it's wild, man. And, and it goes back to how we started this podcast. And I really I'm shocked at them coming back yesterday, being down 35. I mean, you look at Sacramento and both the Kings and the Clippers were both getting their asses kicked at one point yesterday. And Sacramento lost by 50-plus, and the Clippers came back from 35 down to win. It just shows you how the two teams are built and how they're coached and the infrastructure there. And then you look at today, and they go and they beat Orlando on the road. And it shocked me today. And it's one of those things now with this team where every single night you don't know what you're going to get from this team. But the one thing you do know is that this team's going to try hard. And Justin, I think that's, mm-hmm. that's all you can ask for. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is one of the character traits from this team that like, you just can't, um, you cannot overstate the, how hard they play on a night to night basis. Um, this team lacks top end talent, So on some nights, it will look really bad offensively, but it will not be because of a lack of effort. It'll be because of a lack of talent. And that is something that like you just you you can't do anything about. You know what I mean? You're you're without Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So you're going to have stretches where the offense just looks terrible. Um, But Ty Lue, again, has built a culture that fosters hard work. It fosters supreme effort on a night to night basis. I mean, I looked at, I looked at today's game against the magic and what jumped out to me was how hard guys like zoo and how hard guys like Amir coffee were playing, despite the fact that they were on a second night of a back to back after a crazy win like that. When we got down by 14, I thought like, you know, we could have packed it in like, Hey, we got the split here, but you know, that's not the character of a Ty Lute led team. Um, and that's not the character of this Clippers team. And so, you know, as, as I said, and as you alluded to, 
there's you cannot you cannot falter the Clippers for their effort. You never can, and that's always comforting. Amir Coffey played 71 minutes in two nights. 37 minutes last night, 34 minutes tonight. I mean, give Hard prop, minutes too. Yeah, give props to him for being uh, being fit and just being ready to go. Uh, I think that's really important. It's understated. I mean, look at yesterday. Luke Kennard played 30. Today he played 32. I mean, this is a guy that was out of action for what, a year and a half, and now he's back and playing 30-plus minutes a night for the Clippers and being an absolute sniper and one of the best shooters in the NBA. I mean, it's it's impressive, these guys' fitness and the ability. I love Luke Kennard, man. Yeah, and you brought him up as a possible guy that could intrigue other teams. Absolutely. I, I, don't, th- I don't think they deal him. I just don't think. I, I think it's going to take a lot to pry away a guy like that that's making what seemed like a crazy amount at $16 million a year, which is no longer crazy at all, and is on a four-year contract that just started this year. I think it'll take a lot to deal you a think guy. So? Yeah. I, think, I don't think the Clippers are going to trade him. Uh, it, what do you think would be fair return for a guy like that? And I think that, that's the interesting point, I guess, is what should the Clippers ask for in return? Is it draft picks? Because those the Clippers have shown that they can develop now, but those used to be a total crapshoot that never worked out. So is it draft picks? Is it young players? What would you what would you want in return for a guy like Luke Kennard, who we've seen is important for a team like the Clippers? Well, that question is hard because it has a lot to do with who's available. You know what I mean? I I just live under the the um the pretense that no player is untouchable. You know what I mean? Like this team traded Blake Griffin six yeah. months after they signed him to a max level extension. Like yeah. no, no, no player is untouchable. And if the right price comes calling, um, I don't think the Clippers would hesitate for a second to trade Luke Kennard. Um, and Luke Kennard is a fantastic shooter. He's a fantastic shooter, but I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't look at Luke Kennard as someone the Clippers are just like going to be hell bent on keeping. Now that doesn't mean that they are in a rush to get rid of him or, or that they aren't happy with like what he's been able to accomplish. It just means to me that he has positive value around the league and that in a league in which everything is just so wide open, some team may come calling about him and the Clippers may look at a deal like, hey, we can get some sort of um, cap relief, right, which can free up some stuff for the offseason in which we can chase, like, Jalen Brunson or C.J. McCullough or something like that. You know what I mean? Who knows what direction the front office is thinking six months from now. And so I don't – I personally don't think Luke Kennard is getting traded, but I do believe that Luke Kennard has – built his value enough to where teams may come calling. And that's a credit to him because if this was this time last year, right, he would have had negative trade value and that would be, that would be pretty bad. So the fact that he has positive trade value is a, is a really good sign that he's doing some really great positive things for the Clippers. And so um, I'm not in a, I'm definitely not in a rush to get rid of Luke. Um, I'm a fan of his. I don't think he'll ever miss a three pointer when he shoots. It's just it's a gorgeous it's a gorgeous shot. But I I'm just saying that like he's one of the positive NBA players that the Clippers have that a lot of teams in the league would want, especially at at that price point. I think Luke is a bargain is a bargain of a contract at that price point. Yeah, no doubt. And the one thing is, it's I'm 
one of those people that believes that it's difficult to find a shooter that you can trust like that. But at the same time, you look around the league and it seems like a lot of guys can shoot threes. Um, but no one, I don't think you, not many you can find that are well, as efficient like Luke, but at the same time, there are others who are better defenders that can shoot the three ball. So it's, it's just what you need and what you want from that type of player. So I, I look at it like, I look at it like, if you are not a bona fide starter, then you you you're definitely not untouchable, right? And like, if Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Reggie Jackson are all healthy, then they're starting, right? Then you throw in Zoo, that's a starter, right? Luke Kennard is not a starting guard for the Clippers, and if he's not a starting guard for the Clippers, I don't think. I, I don't think Lawrence Frank in the front office are turning their nose at trade requests for the sixth, seventh, or eighth man on the roster. Yeah. When it comes to like, you're, I'm thinking about like playoff basketball, right? He doesn't necessarily need to be on the floor all that much come playoff time. That's just, that's just a reality about it, right? Like come playoff time, your point guard, if it's Reggie Jackson, he's going to be getting heavy minutes. Paul George is going to be getting heavy minutes. Kawhi Leonard is going to get be getting heavy minutes. And you're, you may use Luke Kennard in a pinch, but um, once you throw in Nicholas Batum and Marcus Morris as well, he just becomes a luxury, not a necessity. And if you're not a necessity, then I don't, I think you can be had for the right price. Yeah, interesting. Uh, uh, the way you put it makes a lot of sense, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, before we sign off, want to remind you all to use the coupon code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping, and also check out our pals at MyBookie.ag. Use the code HoopBall on the third page of sign-up to unlock deposit match bonuses there as well. All right, Justin, before we say goodbye, um, expectations for these next three games – at Miami, at Charlotte, at Indiana, Friday, Sunday, Monday. One and two um, with a win maybe at Indiana. I don't. I think it's asking a lot on the second half of a back-to-back. What are your expectations there? I think they get the Miami game, and I think Ooh. they split the Indiana or Charlotte game. Ooh, um, two I, and I, one. I, yeah, I do. I do. I do. I think this team is – I think I, Nico Batum postgame tonight said that they're rolling, and you can see it like – Ever since the Denver game that they lost in overtime, this team feels like they've turned a corner um, as far as competence. And like I'm, I'm, I, I, I feel very strongly about that. Right? Like we'll we'll come back and see. Maybe I look stupid, but um, I think they go two and one over these next three games. And if they do that, that means they'll end up being five and three on this road trip, which would be unbelievable. Justin Wilson, <laughs> ever the optimist, though at LA Clippers film on Twitter. Follow him. He does incredible stuff. I mean, between breakdowns and just in-game tweets, the guy knows his stuff. So make sure you go ahead and follow him. Anything else you want to promote, my guy? Um, no. No, no not really. Um, happy to be on and uh, go Clippers. Hope to hope to talk more Clipper basketball on this platform again sometime soon. Indeed. You can follow the Ethos Clippers Twitter feed to find out when we post podcasts. Of course, you can Subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at BDMarcus. Until next time, this has been the Ethos Clippers podcast, and go Clips.